Joshua chapter 24, if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn there. Joshua chapter 24. Three weeks ago, I preached from Joshua chapter 1 about God's plan for success. And today we're looking at the last chapter of the book of Joshua. And this has to do with the same man that God spoke to back in chapter 1. And if you read Joshua 23 and verse 6, it tells us here that Joshua is, is an old man. He's near to death. This is his farewell message as he relates to the people exactly the same thing that God told him back at the very beginning. And the point of all of that is this, and that is that through God, with God, Anyone can become a success because success is defined as discovering the will of God and doing it. And that's exactly what happened in the case of Joshua. And we can rest assured that the same God that used him will also make us successful in life. So with that in mind, let's bow our heads for prayer and then we'll read our text for today. Father, we thank you this morning. For your loving kindness, we thank you for the sacrifice that Christ made on the cross of Calvary, for the salvation that it provides, for the hope that it gives, for the changes that it makes in our lives. And we just thank you so much that we can call you Father and to know that we have a relationship with you and that uh, heaven is our home. I pray this morning that you'll speak to our hearts through your word, that you'll be glorified in everything that's said and done, and that the needs of these folks might be met today by your grace. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Joshua chapter 24, beginning in verse number 14. Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in truth. And put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt, and serve ye the Lord. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom ye will serve, whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I suspect that all of you would agree with me when I say that the family institution is under attack today and it's in trouble. We're not faring well in this fight. And we attribute the, the problem to outside forces. In other words, we think about the opposition of the world. The, the world trying to redefine what a family is. A world that is out of control, trying to exert control over the institution of the family. And so we think about that as our greatest opponent, when in reality, I think our greatest failure has to do from within. And when I say that, I'm talking about within the circle of Christians, Christendom in general, the Lord's churches, and, and, and it seems like that, that we have absolutely dropped the ball 
and failed when it comes to emphasizing the importance of the family, meeting the needs of the family. Now, I say all of that because that can't happen without a failure among the fathers. And if we fathers fail, the family's going to fail. And when the family fails, society is going to crumble and fall. So before I go on, maybe we ought to give dad a pat on the back. He's got a tough job. I mean, it is a tough assignment to think about being a father. In the first place, you know, he starts out, he enters the picture as a new parent, doesn't have any experience. In many cases, he's not had a good example to follow. I mean, he's as lost as a goose in a hailstorm. He doesn't know which way to turn. He doesn't know what to do. And he doesn't have a clue. It's a learn-as-you-go proposition. And regardless of how many books he might read or how many classes he might take or how many sermons about the family that he hears, it's still a learn-as-you-go process. And most of us make plenty of mistakes. Most of us fail over and over. And hopefully we learn from those mistakes. And as a result of that, at some point in time, we finally get it right. So it is a tough assignment And God has high expectations for fathers, and He holds us accountable. So I say all that to say that fathers need help, all the help they can get. And fortunately, God has given us that help in the form of examples from the Word of God. And one of those has to do with the story of Joshua. In Joshua 13 and verse 1, it tells us that he was old and stricken in age. And whenever we, whenever we read about him here, we see him addressing the nation. And I've always thought it interesting to think about the final words that, you know, when they know they're dying and the very final words they speak. Alexander Graham Bell simply said, no. Well, you know, you can resist all you want, but when death comes, saying no is not going to change the fact. Uh, P.T. Barnum, the circus man, asked this. He said, how were the receipts in Madison Square Garden? Worried about how much money they're making from the circus. But he died. Houdini said, I'm tired of fighting. I guess this thing is going to get me. Yeah, it gets all of us sooner or later. Bing Crosby said, that was a great game of golf, fellows. And never took another breath and died. Frank Sinatra said, I'm losing it. I'm losing it. I I mention all of that to say this because... Joshua is nearing the end of his life, and you can rest assured he's speaking about what was near and dear to his heart. He's not cracking jokes. He's, he's not talking about something that is unimportant, but he's getting down to the bare bone facts of what is really important in life. And here's a man, one of the greatest leaders in history, and it's all due to his great faith in God. And so as we consider this final chapter in his life, which is far too long for us to try to cram it all in one message, 
I want to just hit the highlights. And, and I want you to focus in on four factors that made this man the great man that he was. First of all, in the first 13 verses of this chapter, we're not going to read all of those, but in those first 13 verses, we see his concern. And, and it, it has to do with what God had done. It's all about what God has already done. So he is reviewing for the people the great things that God has done. And, and by the way, the story is absolutely amazing. When you look back and you think about how that he brought them up out of the bondage of slavery in Egypt. And he brought them through the wilderness and he brings them into the promised land. And, and it is amazing when you think about what God had done. That's not a, a minor matter. And Joshua knew that we are prone to forget. And so he's reminding them that, that all that they had was due to the grace of God, that they owed everything to God. He wanted them to know that our God does not fail. And if you look in those verses, notice what God says. These are quotes from what God said. He says, I sent. He says, I brought. I destroyed. I gave. I delivered. And in all of this, there's absolutely no mention of Israel's army. No mention of man's ability. It's all about God doing it all. And that's the emphasis that, that Joshua is putting on this message, reminding them that it's not so much about what we're able to do, it's what God can do. And we need to be mindful of that because certainly as fathers or as parents or whoever we are, we need to remind our children of what God has done. They face a lot of challenges in life. I often think about how confused they must be right now. Think about it. All of a sudden, some mysterious illness blankets our land. They can't go to school now, that might be the one thing that they applauded for a while, but it seems really unusual. You can't go to school and for a while, and in some cases, couldn't attend church. And so it's got their little world turned upside down, and they've got to be confused. And the thing about it is, we know from what the Bible says that things are not going to get better, but it says that evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse. So this world is on a downhill slide. Our children are going to be faced with great difficulties in their life. And it's our job to remind them of what a great God we have. That our God is able. Able to do exceeding abundance of all that we could ever ask or think. And we can look back through history and we can see the record of what God has done. Don't ever underestimate the great power in those Bible stories that are so familiar to most of us. We think about the story of Daniel and the three Hebrew children, and we think about Joshua fighting the battle of Jericho, and all of these miracles by Elijah and Elisha and so forth. And all of that is the record of what God has done. And so this is the first thing on his list in his farewell speech is, I am concerned about you. I'm concerned about this younger generation 
And I want them to understand that our God is able. Now look at verse 14, because in verse number 14, we see his challenge. Out of his great concern, he now gives this challenge to them. There are three things about this I want you to notice. First of all, he tells them what to do. He says, fear the Lord. That gets down to the bare bone basics. If you study the book of Proverbs, you'll see over and over and over again that the fear of the Lord, everything begins there. Everything grows out of that, that, that fear, that reverence, that respect that we have for God. And if that's not there, nothing else is going to be as it ought to be. So he says, fear the Lord and serve Him. And next, notice he tells them how. In sincerity and truth. You know, we're not at liberty to worship God just any old way that we please. We are to worship God, to serve God in sincerity and in truth. We live in a day where a lot of folks seem to have the opinion that it doesn't really make any difference what you believe as long as you're sincere. Well, it makes a big difference. It makes a big difference. You can change the label on a bottle of poison and give it to someone, and they might think they're drinking a vitamin when in reality they're drinking something that would kill them. Changing the label on it does not mean that it's good for you. We're obligated to worship God, to serve God. Notice, in sincerity and truth. So he tells them what to do, and he tells them here uh, how to do it. And then notice he tells them what is involved. He goes on to say, and put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt, and serve ye the Lord. Now, we'd like to think, well, oh my, we don't have to worry about that because we don't have any, we don't have any idols, we don't have any false gods. But in reality, it's very, very real that, that we do. It's a fact that a lot of folks do. You see, we can make a God out of anything. Your recreation can become a God. Anything that we put in the place of God, anything that we set before God, becomes a God to us. And we think back to them, or maybe we think about those that are in the deep, dark jungles of Africa, or those that are dancing around a totem pole, and we think about those who are obviously devoted to some false god, but in reality, the gods that we worship can be just as real, although much different, just as destructive as those gods. There's not room for us to have our gods if we're going to serve the true and the living God. And so here we find Joshua, a man who is deeply concerned about his people, challenging them to serve the Lord. Now, look at verse 15. In verse number 15, we see his courage. And I mention this because it always takes courage to challenge the misconceptions of people. It's not an easy thing to preach the Word of God to a people that have already made up their mind about what is right and what is wrong. Because God doesn't pull any punches. 
God is very clear about what he thinks and what he requires. So it took courage for him to stand up as it were on what we might consider his deathbed and say this, And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day. Notice, not tomorrow, not next week. Choose you this day whom ye will serve, whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. Joshua knew how people tend to think. In other words, a lot of times people are willing to acknowledge God as being the Lord, but they're not, they're not so accepting of His rule and His control over them. In, in other words, they would rather have God serving them than they would serving God. That seems a whole lot more appealing. Sometimes we put God, you know, on the level of Santa Claus. Just as long as He gives us what we want, you know, we're happy. But as soon as God imposes, you know, requirements upon us that deprives us of the things that we would do, by sinful nature, the things that we desire to do, all of a sudden, although our profession, our belief about God and His existence, and even what we believe about Christ, all of a sudden, even though we retain those beliefs, our devotion begins to wane. And Joshua knows this, that they can embrace those beliefs, but if it doesn't change their behavior, they're headed for destruction. He wants them to understand there can't be any middle ground. You're, remember Jesus said, you're either for me or against me. No middle ground. We can't be neutral in this matter. When the Lord spoke about us being His disciples, you'll remember that He, he told us that if, if we're going to be His disciple, we have to forsake how much? How much was it? All. Everything. Th that seems unrealistic to some people. Th that, that seems unfair to some people. That God would in, impose such restrictions that in order to serve Him, that we've got, to, we've got to give Him all. We've got to give Him our very best. But remember, it's God, the one who is holy. God, the one who out of love is imposing these restrictions upon us. God, out of the depths of His wisdom and His great love, knows what's best for us, even when we don't. And it's not always pleasing to try to conform your ways to the will of God, that the world, the flesh, and the devil are all going to be fighting against you and resisting you at every turn, but it's always profitable to do that. And God help us as Christians to have the courage to be willing to stand up, as it were, in the face of the world and to live our life in such a way that it becomes obvious to others that we are indeed the true followers of Christ, that we are entirely devoted to Him. Now look at verse 15 again, and, and here we see in the second part of this verse, we see His choice. Joshua says, But as for me and my house, we will serve 
the Lord. I think this is the picture of a real man. You know, not only does he have the courage to confront, that's something lacking in a lot of men today, but notice that he challenges them, and he has the concern to speak on behalf of his own family. You could say he's taking the reins of leadership in his hands as the head of the family. The sad thing is today, too many men have left this for the women to do. You know, some folks complain about whether well, women are just taking over everything. No, no, they haven't taken over anything. We've turned it over to the women. And so many men today, instead of being the leader in the home, instead of setting the example in the home, they have deserted their duties and just delegated it all to the mothers uh, to do what they ought to be doing. A U.S. Census some time ago says that one out of three children in the United States do not have a father present in the home. Think about that a little while. My dad wasn't a Christian while I was growing up. Thank God he was saved later. My dad um, never read the Bible, never talked about the Lord, never took us to church, never displayed any interest at all in spiritual things. It was all about work, hunting, and fishing. That, that's what his life consisted of. The one good thing about it, and as I wrote in an article this morning that I sent out, was the fact that one thing we could count on is we knew that Dad cared enough about his family as he promised. He said, as long as I'm able, you'll always have something to eat. And, 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 and we children, Sis and I, we, we knew that, that, that he was going to take care of us. Now, we're talking about one-third of the kids today do not have a father in the home, period. Good, bad, or indifferent of any other kind. And by the way, that being the case, think about it, and the majority of those that are in the homes are not doing as they ought to do as the head and the leader of the family. So notice what he says. There's three things here about his choice. First of all, there's a public decision. But as for me, that first word is very important. But it's as though he is saying others can do as they please. But as for me, I'll do as I should. In other words, if what they, they did was wrong, he's saying, it's not going to affect my life. It's not going to change what I do. So he's making his choice clear. Nobody had to wonder where he stood on this issue. This is a public decision. I mean, he is letting everybody know. But as for me, this is what I'm going to do. Our behavior should, should leave no room for doubt. I remember several years ago, happened to be one of our church members, and I was talking to a fellow, and we got to talking about uh, uh, the place that he worked, and I said, oh yeah, I, he, I said, uh, one of our members works there. And um, he said, who? And I, I mentioned his name. I said, yeah, he, he's one of our members. He said, really? He's, he's a member of your church? 
And, and then he went on and made a statement. Well, I would have never guessed he was a Christian. Wow. He's all about wanting to crawl under a rock and hide somewhere. I would have never guessed that he was a Christian. Look, folks, our behavior, our manner of life ought to be such that everybody knows where we stand in relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ. That we're for Him, not against Him. We're not neutral. We're all in. And so this is a public decision, but it is a personal declaration. He says, but as for me, as for me, notice, and my house, and my house. This gets very personal now. He's not saying that what you ought to do. He's bringing it right down to where he lived. As for me and my house. You know, this is the, the attitude that every father ought to have. But listen, don't say, and my house, unless you can say, as for me. Do you get what I'm saying? Don't say, as for my house, you know, they're going to do this and they're going to do that. First of all, you need to be able to say, but as for me. In other words, it's our responsibility as a parent to practice what we preach. It's our job to be a godly example. Look, even if they don't follow you, and believe me, there are going to be times where you'll think that you're beating your head against a wall and it's all in vain. You'll think you're not getting through to your children. You'll think that that's no profit in what you're trying to do. You'll think they're not listening. They might not be listening, but they're watching. They're watching. They're taking note of everything that you do. And believe me, at some point in time in their life, it's going to make a difference whether you were serving the Lord or not. So he makes this public decision and a personal declaration. And notice the positive disclosure that is in this. He said, we, not them, we, not I, but we all together will serve the Lord. You know... Any life that is well spent has to have a clear understanding as to what its purpose is. Life really gets boring, dull, and drab if you don't know why you're here. Th think about it. I remember one woman telling me years ago, and this was, this was just right after she was saved. And uh, I'd, I'd known this woman most of my life. And she, she knew me. Her, her son was my best friend. And I was pastoring the church. She had never gone to church. She started coming. Short time later, she was saved. But she, she said one day, I just got to looking at myself in the mirror. And I thought to myself, surely there must be more to life than this. There must be more to life than this. In other words, there's got to be more than just existing. You know, we get up in the morning and we feed our face and we go through the day, whether at work or play or whatever we do. We get tired, we go to bed. We start that cycle over and over and over again throughout our life. Well, let me tell you this morning, there is something more than that, something better than that. And that is our purpose. And the Bible is clear about our purpose and it's to glorify God through obedience to God. 
You, you, you can call it serving God, worshiping God, whatever, but it all amounts to the same thing. And we know what Joshua did. is for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Every father needs to take that upon himself to let it be known to his children and to his family and to others that I'm going to do my very best to make this a reality in my home. So there's no question about what Joshua did. The only question is this. What will you do? What will you do? Joshua made the right choice. And his choice is our challenge. And it's crucial. You could say, and this is the title of the message, by the way, the chief choice of life. This is the main chief choice of life, and that is, will you or will you not serve God? Now, you've got some options. God's not going to force any of us to do as His Word commands us. God's given us a free will. You can resist Him, or you can receive Him. You can choose pleasure. Many, many do. That's the course they're on. They live for pleasure. It's the thrills of life. All they, can think. they don't care if they got money or anything like that. They're not concerned about that. It's all about pleasure. What will I enjoy? But believe me, if that's your choice, you'll end up just like Solomon who conducted his experiment. And he tells us he tried wine, women, works, the whole nine yards, tried everything. And in the end, he said, it's all vanity. It's a soap bubble world. It, it, it amounts to nothing. And, and that's where you're going to end up if you choose pleasure. You don't have to choose pleasure. You can decide to choose possessions. Because there are some people that are not that big on pleasure. They'll deprive themselves of pleasure if they can just get more possessions that's all they care about you know the one with the most toys wins that bumper sticker well if i can just get more toys than the other guy if i can outdo the joneses if i can get more than they've got and the thing about it is you're never satisfied regardless of how much you get you always want a little more possessions cannot satisfy and if that's your choice you'll end up just like the the fool described in the New Testament that sold his soul. He sold his soul. That eternal part of man he sold in order to get these temporal things of the world. So you can choose pleasure. You can choose possessions. You can choose popularity. A lot of people live for that. They just want to they want to make a name for themselves. If they can just get their name in lights, if they can hit the headlines, if, if they can just be known as a somebody in this world, that's all they care about. They want some title, the recognition and so forth from the world. Just be popular. If that's your choice, you're going to end up just like those of whom Christ said, I never knew you. I never knew you. You remember these were religious people. They boasted about what they had done. And by the way, they, they did so in the name of the Lord. 
They were very proud of their religious works. But whenever they stood before the Lord, he says, Depart from me, ye workers of iniquity, for I never knew you. Oh, listen, you can be popular in this world, but if God doesn't know you, if he doesn't know you as one of his children, it's all in vain. Somebody said, well, I, I guess I'll just go to hell. All my friends are there. Oh, no, you, you have no friends there. There's nobody in hell that wants you there. Nobody. Popularity is the wrong choice. Possessions is the wrong choice. Pleasure is the wrong choice. Power, somebody says. And believe me, that's all some people care about. They want the power, the authority. They want to rule over others. They want to control things. You'd be surprised how many of our politicians are motivated by this very thing, the power factor. I want to be in charge. I want to control others. If that's your choice, you'll end up just as mad, just as insane as Nebuchadnezzar. Oh, Nebuchadnezzar said, who is this God that I should obey him? I mean, I'm, I'm mighty Nebuchadnezzar. I'm the greatest king on this earth. I rule this empire that rules the world. And he ended up, he lost his mind and went from the palace out to the fields and grazed on the grass that animals ate. Let me tell you, if that's your choice, power, popularity, possessions, pleasure, or anything else, you're going to end up totally disappointed. But, but if your choice is God as your portion, goodness and mercy shall follow you all of the days of your life. You'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's the only choice that makes any sense. Why in the world would we make any choice that, that excludes Jesus Christ? He is our only help. He is our only hope. And I can promise you, those who make this choice never, ever regret it. Ask any Christian, do you regret becoming a Christian? If they're really saved, they're going to tell you, absolutely not. It was the most important decision I've ever made in my life. I mentioned a while ago about my daddy. And, and I think about him all of the time, and especially on Father's Day and a lot of fond memories, but the greatest memory is, uh, is whenever Dad finally became a Christian. And I'll never forget what he said. Dad was a very proud man in a very quiet way. He didn't want anything to do with church. He was a very private person. And I knew exactly what he meant whenever he looked at me with a tear in his eye. And he said, Son, I want you to know that was the hardest thing your daddy has ever done. He's talking about being saved. But he said, if I had known how easy, how simple it was, I got saved a long, long time ago. And I'll guarantee you, there was never one day he ever regretted making that choice to receive Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. You won't regret that decision either. Joshua, remember, on his deathbed, so to speak, 
This is his final farewell. And he says, choose you this day whom ye will serve. Have you made that choice? Have you made that choice and it is so vivid, so clear to your friends and your loved ones and your co-workers, to others, that no one needs to ask because they already know where you stand. They already know that as far as you're concerned, Jesus Christ is the most important thing in all of the world. I surely hope you have, and if you haven't, I hope you will this morning. And even as we bow our heads and close in prayer, wherever you are, whoever you are this morning, you can become a child of God right there. The Bible says, Whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And if by simple faith, if you just call out to the Lord and trust Him as your Savior today, I promise you that He'll save your soul. Heavenly Father, how we thank You, Lord, for the privilege of having the choice to be able to choose between life and death and good and evil, between heaven and hell. How thankful we are to know that Christ is the door that leads to heaven. He is the way to life eternal. And I just pray this morning that not one single person would leave here today, or those that are watching online if they're unsaved, not one person would turn away from the truth without trusting Christ as their Lord and Savior. Lord, help each one of us today to determine in our heart that regardless of what the world does, regardless of what the world demands, regardless of what the world thinks, that we're going to make it perfectly clear that for us, the most important thing in life is serving you. We love you and we thank you for your blessings and pray your blessings upon us today. In Jesus' precious name, amen. God bless you.